I think operational excellence is um, maybe let's take it a different a different way. It's it's culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, um, enablement, mm -hmm. right? So maybe that that's you know maybe culture is the people part of it, but but culture and enablement, enablement, change management, um, change management, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But also, I, I think enablement also um, losing it using it loosely, maybe more empowerment mm -hmm. of giving people the ability to make decisions and yes. execute against them themselves, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I don't think anybody likes to be held back by rules and uh, layers of approval mm -hmm. if, if they don't have to be. Mm -hmm. um, so give people room to learn or fail fast and mm -hmm. quickly and try new things until they figure out a way to do it better. Welcome back to Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast sponsored by Salient Process. I'm your host, Jimmy Hewitt, aka Mr. Automation. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another exciting special guest episode with a longtime friend of Salient Process, the one and only Peter Malik. Loaded with experience and insights, Peter has absolutely been there and done that in the world of hyperautomation. From having founded VMware's process discovery and robotic process automation practice to now leading productivity at Experian, Peter imparts his view of continuous improvement so that we can all learn from him. Uh, from his focus on people to how to mature from RPA into workflow, there are golden nuggets all over this episode, and I hope you enjoy this conversation live from OpEx Orlando. Well, thanks again for being on Bots and Thoughts, Peter. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. Of course. Really looking forward to this conversation. Likewise. I'd love to start with getting to know you a bit. Yeah. So for starters, who is Peter Malik? And um, <laughs> yeah, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so let me try to keep this short because I'm definitely not short of words. Um, <laughs> but Peter Malik, uh, my background academically, uh, MIS major, Management Information Systems, with a double major in uh, Decision Sciences, Statistics, uh, and then went on to do my Master's in Systems Engineering. I have some specializations uh, kind of in, in executive education and organizational change management, mm -hmm. uh, as well as artificial intelligence uh, strategy for AI uh, through MIT. Um, and, uh, and then outside of that, you know, uh, Lean Six Sigma specialization. So, you know, certified as a master black belt, uh, started my journey with Motorola as a green belt and then graduated my way up over the years when I came to be first introduced to it. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I call myself um, somebody that's always focused on process improvement, even in my personal life, because I've uh, grown up playing sports, mm -hmm. uh, rode crew in college, uh, uh, was a personal trainer, uh, even right after I graduated on the side, uh, when I was first working in my my first engineering job, uh, it was kind of my side hustle. And, uh, and so I always like to say like process improvement is like personal training for business. Yes. Um, and, uh, and so I, I see this, this, this like 
crossover between what I've continued to focus on and be passionate about for myself and others outside of my professional environment. Uh, and then what I do on the professional side uh, for the companies that I've uh, had the fortune to work for. So that's awesome. Um, you uh, seem very aligned yeah. personally and professionally, yeah. continuous improvement personally and professionally. I've been lucky. <laughs> yeah. And experience lucky to have you. Um, you lead productivity for them. They say it's just, <clears throat> just as much of a mindset, continuous improvement as it is a set of technical skills. And it seems like you have both, which again, experience lucky to have you. I appreciate that. Um, but here we are at OPEX, yeah. Operational Excellence. Everyone here, all 250, 350 people have their own definition of OPEX. So I'd love your definition. And if I may ask, what are the different um, circles, if you will, that comprise your Venn diagram of, of OPEX? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a fantastic question. Boy, you know, and I've, I've been around process improvement since probably about three years into my professional career from a um, specialization standpoint when I started my journey and kind of let's call it formal training mm -hmm. on on process improvement from a Lean Six Sigma standpoint. So that's now been almost 17 years to the day since since I was first introduced to it. Um, so I've, I'd like to say I've I've seen a lot of environments and been in a lot of situations to be able to kind of think through this over the years mm -hmm. and share my thought. Um, of my, which you've captured in your book. Yeah, which I've captured in my book to some extent. Check yes, it out. yeah, perform, uh, <laughs> path of becoming unstoppable and achieving fulfillment. But I, I would say it's about having a, my definition of OPEX is a seamless, meaningful, measurable ecosystem, right? Mm. Where the people are mm -hmm. able to focus on performing the tasks that uh, they love and solving problems and innovating. That's, mm -hmm. that's kind of my, my way of describing it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so you talked about a Venn diagram, right? Um, and I don't want to be the one that goes people process technology. <laughs> yeah, people process technology. I, I think that's what everybody defaults sure. to. Um, I think operational excellence is um, maybe let's take it a different a different way. It's it's culture, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's uh, um, enablement, mm -hmm. right? So maybe that that's you know maybe culture is the people part of it, but but culture and enablement, enablement, change management, um, change management, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But also I, I think enablement also. Um, Losing it, using it loosely, maybe more empowerment mm -hmm. of giving people the ability to make decisions and yes. execute against them themselves, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I don't think anybody likes to be held back by rules and uh, layers of approval mm -hmm. if, if they don't have to be. Mm -hmm. um, so give people room to learn or fail fast and mm -hmm. quickly and try new things until they figure out a way to do it better. That's very empowering. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, I think the last, the last piece, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because I think my Venn diagram is all around 
now that I'm thinking about it, it it's all people related. Mm-hmm. It, 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 that's where the success lies for operational excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, because I, I think the technology and um, the processes and all that still stems from, do you have the sponsorship and the buy-in to do this? Is it part mm-hmm. of the culture that you're building and, and focused on investing in. Yeah. And so maybe the last component of it with this kind of unpacking of people is, uh, is you know, that strategy alignment and executive sponsorship with the right people on board mm-hmm. that really truly will unlock that potential. Because if your leaders are on board, they're gonna invest in the necessary technologies, they're gonna invest in the necessary skill set and training. Um, and yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. That's, that's, that's kind of where I would go with it. That's great. Yeah. I'd love to keep pulling at the people yeah. piece because yeah. process improvement, Six Sigma, filling out an A3, mapping out a process can be um, sterile. Mm-hmm. It can be done in a vacuum yeah. where you have your black belt team that does those things. Um, but it, those concepts are important. A3s are important. Process maps are important. Um, so how can we introduce the people element in conjunction with say process mapping? No, no, no. So it's a great point. So I think, um, adaptability and flexibility and how you're teaching people to pick up and leverage, uh, and apply, um, uh, best practices and techniques that can help them to improve how they work. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the one of the ingredients I found from one company to the next that I've worked for, from management consulting all the way to being the uh, productivity leader within the companies that I've worked for, mm-hmm. is uh, making it palatable and simple enough for anybody to be able to pick up and apply. Mm-hmm. And so that's hard to do. That's well, it can be, but it doesn't have to be right. Mm -hmm. So it's how do you how do you put basic concepts and tools in the hands of individuals that allow them to start applying it in increments and picking up these skills and learning them. And then as they master those skills, just add to it a little bit versus mm-hmm. try to train and certify them on a suite of methods and sure. problem solving and tools and templates, mm-hmm. right? Why not just find one or two things that you know they could immediately apply in their day to day and start introducing those concepts and tools, plant that seed, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, Watch it maybe, maybe it starts with, you know, the tomato garden, right? Of how do you just map a process? Mm-hmm. Then maybe you're like, you know what? I want to add some cucumbers. Okay. Well, let's teach them how to do some stakeholder analysis. Um, Maybe, you you know, or uh, pick a tool, FMEA, a failure modes and effects analysis. some simulations. Yeah, some simulations. Now you're getting into some really, really intricate vegetables or fruit that you're trying yeah. to grow in your garden. You've got a maize crop, yeah, you, corn and peppers so, feeding so, into each other. So that, which, which take, you know, a little more advanced skill set. but hey, maybe once they've graduated from becoming that, that, uh, 
that novice or beginner uh, farmer um, in their vegetable garden. They're re they're ready to take and on. And they want to. And they want to. And like exercise like, for your business, you see that's right. You know yourself improving, and you want more. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's levels yeah. to this. So, so I think I think that you know something perhaps that hasn't been explored enough. Um, is not just how do you simplify how you educate and train individuals from a curriculum standpoint, because I've seen plenty of companies do that. How do you, again, um, take away the, the overwhelming terminology and break it down into layman terms or business terms that aren't tied to necessarily a specific framework or methodology so that mm -hmm. people can, can connect with it. But more importantly, I think there's, there's even a, taking a step back further from that and saying, okay, well, baby steps, let's crawl before we walk, walk before we run, yeah. right? Run before we start to fly with what we're trying to get somebody to consume and adopt and, and, uh, and apply. There was a speaker today that, um, I think mentioned this and, you know, in, in the, uh, in their keynote about, um, you have to go slower than what leadership and oh, yeah. you as a process transformation leader even would like to see things move at mm -hmm. to be successful in getting individuals to adopt and accept change. And so if somebody's never learned that tool or wasn't from that same academic background where that type of thinking will connect with them immediately, which there's far and fewer between where that's the case, mm -hmm. then it means we really should be slowing down. How do we approach these things with these individuals if we want them to truly absorb it, yeah. accept it, learn it, and stick with it? Stick with it. Yeah, exactly. So how does that work? Um, not to talk about myself, but personally, I am a let's get it done now type of person. I feel yeah. like you're similar in your personal life yeah. as well. We want results now um, since you're a doer, yeah. right? Um, impatience is something I'm working on, um, especially with goal achievement. Um, so translate that into enterprise productivity optimization how do you throttle your own internal drive to achieve results sooner, um, knowing that by slowing your roll, you will achieve more faster in the long run? How, how does that work? How do um, you do that? Well, I, I wish I could tell you I had the one answer that was the solution to it all, but I, mm -hmm. I, think, it's, I, I think it's a combination of levers that you have to pull. So in most cases, if I, if I think back to, um, you know, organizations like VMware, uh, where I, I led up our business process excellence practice and, and, and RPA um, and, you know, the productivity role that I'm in at Experian with our consumer information services. Mm -hmm. I think it's um, how I've kind of calibrated around that is a couple different ways. One Usually when there is a transformation program, there is a specialized set of, uh, of um, very well-trained, highly skilled 
certified individuals that have a statistics, uh, lean six Sigma design thinking, data science, data science type. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Type background systems, engineering, industrial engineering, academic background combined with different certifications and specialization. And that team is usually being deployed on projects to help facilitate and apply the methods that they have come to master a craft around. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to stop. Right. So some of it is making sure you're more strategic with how you deploy those assets, mm. right. In terms of you know, prioritizing and, 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 and focusing on the right. Yeah. I'm focusing on the right projects, mm -hmm. but then when it comes to building the culture that, you know, you're going to also be working on in parallel to that. I think it's a different measure of success. It, and, and this is where there's, there's probably, you know, there, there has to be a, a philosophical uh, conversation with leadership around, well, what's our, what's our end game? If, if we're trying to transform the organization, depending on the size of the organization mm -hmm. too. Um, yeah. What's How the North to, Star? Yeah. What's the North Star? But more importantly, if, if we're trying to turn this culture around, that doesn't happen in a year. That doesn't happen in a month. As right? badly as you want it to. As badly as you want it to. And we also don't want to lose the talent and the skills that we have within the organization. Along the way. Along the way. Forcing it. Yes. Because yeah. then we have another dilemma, which is okay, we have this new culture, but now we have to replace individuals and now we have a skill set gap and yeah. a learning curve with how we operate. So I go, you know, one of the strategies I've used in the past um, and, and it went well was calibrating on how do we measure even the application and use of smaller incremental tools within the larger toolbox or suite of methods. Mm -hmm. Hey, Let's teach somebody how to process map, mm -hmm. just the basics. How do we start to poll and survey and monitor how many people across the organization are using process mapping methods and skills just as part of guiding conversations, solving problems, documenting processes within their teams, achieving goals, achieving goals. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily <laughs> need to be that they mapped a process came up with a future state, automated it and got an ROI of some sort. Even if we just get them to start using that mindset and tooling in the way that they're thinking and engaging with others on their teams, that would be considered a win. Sure. That's right? your tomato plant. That's right. That's mm -hmm. your tomato plant. You know, then, then how do you introduce concepts? Okay. Now you've mastered this whole concept of documenting process and that's become second nature yeah. to you in terms of, you know, it's, it's, it's autopilot. When you're thinking through something, you take out a scrappy piece of paper and you sketch down five or six blocks to kind of map yeah. it out. Mm -hmm. Now that's kind of, you know, that's part of your day-to-day -day yeah. way of thinking mm -hmm. and you're not an industrial engineer, right. but you've grown to, to see how you, this benefits you in terms of how you think and operate and thinking through different ways to be innovative or creative. And maybe you are improving on things, but you haven't gone as far as saying, 
oh, well, it used to take us this much time in the current state. Now it's taking us this much time in the future state. So how do I introduce now other tools to start to link that together so that they we start, can document and measure it? Yeah, they right. start to see obvious areas for improvement yes. just by documenting it. Yeah. So by planting the tomato seed, um, once they start to see the sprout, they'll see all this other garden space and they themselves arrive at the conclusion that there's more to do. Yeah. It's like an intuitive, natural next step that, that they see. Or it opens up conversations where somebody's looking at it and somebody else can say, hey, why don't we try that differently? Or have you thought about yeah. doing it differently? That's where you oh, want to be. That's a good idea. Let me scratch yeah. that out and you know write something else there. So yeah. it allows you to play around with what if scenarios. Yeah. Now you're doing process simulations yeah. and you didn't even know it. Yeah. That's where you want to be as an enterprise, right? Is it a fair analogy to use like building a fire where I think a lot of people here at, at OpEx and a lot of companies approaching productivity, optimization, hyper automation, et cetera, they put the big logs on too soon. And it smothers the fire. And it smothers right. the fire. Whereas, right. Or it can't get started because the logs are too large yeah, for it or to too catch. wet. It's just not too time wet. yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where counterintuitively by starting small with the, the pine needles and then the smallest sized twigs catching onto slightly larger sized twigs and slightly larger sized twigs, you're doing twigs for six months as a company thinking that you'd be having a roaring bonfire by now, but counterintuitively, these twigs are going to accept larger and larger. Yeah. The sticks. one, the only, the only thing I would add to it though, just to kind of caveat it is you're still building the larger bonfires with your highly skilled team. Let them go take the big logs and start those big fires on the strategic projects and priorities. But with the rest right of the enterprise that, that, yeah, that you're trying to get to just think and change the way they think and apply these concepts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You have mm -hmm. to start with a more grassroots organic sure. approach that is palatable. Okay. Right. So you're saying and that catches fire and spreads. There is room for both in yeah. a sizable enough enterprise. I, I think so. Where you have that super diverse advanced squad of designers and process analysts, software engineers, data scientists, um, black belts that can build a bonfire. That's Quickly. right. They know how to do it. They know how to do they it. They were hired because they've done it before. That's exactly right. Let them build their bonfires. Meanwhile, let the maybe um, culture enablement, education, HR, um, internal team work on you know, everyone else, 99% of the company learn how to build a fire incrementally. That's exactly right. So both That's can exactly happen. Right. Both can happen. And, and, you know, and when that happens, I think you'll see what, sure enough, as you're building the, the, the more broader cultural enablement with the smaller twigs and pine needles, mm -hmm. you're still going out there with your specialized team to conquer the bigger bonfires. Yeah. But at some point, there's going to be an intersection yeah. where... Things are heating up, heating up. And the, and the learning, the learning is growing on the cultural adaptation side to now you can, now you can expand and multiply even larger bonfires. And I feel like that space the there is strategic transformation, yes. creating new business models. Yes. That's where disruption yeah. happens. Yeah. 
And that's the cool part. That's, that's the cool, cool part of what we do. That's cool. And by the way, the, 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 the cultural transformation, even though it's incremental and happening in parallel, that, that will help also with potentially identifying other key large bonfires that you need to redeploy your strategic team into to help with. Yeah. They're right? identifying the next bonfire. They're, they're identifying that. Hey, Hey, we can assist you with that. Yeah. Right. So let me I, help you build that. Yeah. So I think, I think it's uh, you know, we were, we were talking earlier about the book, good to great. Right. Yeah. And putting and the right, did. putting Very the right good. seats, uh, right people in the right seats on the bus. Right. And how, how uh, Malcolm Gladwell, you know, that's one of the big key takeaways of his book. Yeah. Right. Um, well, that same thing applies in an organization. Play to the strengths of the individuals that you have and their skills and their passion, and then start to incrementally develop their skills to help them to get even better at what they love doing. Don't try to turn them into the next mm -hmm. bonfire builder in terms of a Lean Six Sigma yeah, master black belt, black, belt. black belt or even a green belt. Yeah, some people want, love customer service. Yeah. So let them optimize for yeah. that. Here's just some tools to do it. That's, that's exactly right. So I wanted to ask you about what philosophies or frameworks or methods or tools do you use? And I hope you have one or two tangible examples of those. But to summarize this past discussion, it seems like there isn't one. No. It, it seems like a, a methodology to continuous improvement is going to be forcing the business into um, a mold that isn't them, but rather this mindset, this this mentality is the methodology. Yeah. Does that kind of sum it yeah. up? Yeah, I, th I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, you know, um, so at Experian, for example, we, we leverage a suite of methods as our best practice standards from Lean, Six Sigma, design thinking, Agile, mm -hmm. um, PDCA, Plan, Do, Check, Act, mm -hmm. uh, A3 strategies. Mm -hmm. um, so again, I, what I would say is it's a culmination of those frameworks and methods. I would say there's definitely um, a, a predominant problem solving foundation that is largely based off of lean six Sigma Demaic framework. Yeah. Um, but we've even recently deployed something that we call our PDCA, uh, learning, which is kind of our light version of getting people oriented on process improvement or productivity improvement, which is how we refer to it. And it's mm -hmm. part of our empower program because mm. it's all about empowering individuals sure. to be able to solve problems and improve how we work and, and grow the business as well. And so that PDCA is literally a one slider that gives them a, a template to follow for business as usual problems that they're solving on their own already but giving them a way to document it so that they can show off the little wins that they're doing in their own spaces mm -hmm. that may not be getting noticed or shared with their leadership, but also other employees could benefit from. Oh, yeah. hey, look at this. Uh, Jimmy figured out a way to um, uh, auto file certain emails through some basic rules using Microsoft Outlook features. Yeah, he's and not he has a, zero inbox. Yeah, and and that's that's helped 
with managing email administrative time that he was spending by 20 minutes a day. Okay. Yeah. Times 100,000 employees. Now imagine if every employee applied those rule settings within Outlook, which doesn't require you to be a developer mm -hmm. or have an engineering background to understand mm -hmm. how to do. Um, yeah, times 100,000 employees, times 10,000 employees, what that adds up to. Mm -hmm. So I think the beauty is, is that um, as quick as technology evolves, a lot of our default applications and software these days have uh, productivity apps and features built into them. Mm -hmm. And um, if you if you were to look at the statistics, I remember doing a, you know reading a study on this that was done years ago. It was something around like sixty seven or seventy percent of the workforce doesn't feel that they know how to leverage the common tools or applications mm. and systems to their full extent. Yeah, it's a productivity problem. Right. Um, and so therein lies a challenge. How do, Forget about teaching somebody how to do even a process map like we were talking about <laughs> earlier. Yeah. How do you teach them how to Slack. use Microsoft Outlook or Slack yeah. or Microsoft Teams or PowerPoint yeah. or Excel to increase oh, their man. productivity? That's starting with the basics right there. We're not take anywhere it, near take it, automation. Take it back to base. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. so, so, um, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm not saying I know how to use every feature and capability, sure. but, but I can tell you that I have learned a lot along the way in my career that does make me more productive and more effective at using those tools. And there are certain tools we will never get away from having to use in the business environment like Microsoft PowerPoint, like Microsoft Excel, mm -hmm. um, like some of the, the, uh, uh, the, the, the project management tools, whether that's Microsoft Teams or, yeah. or other features that we're using. And so, yeah, so it goes back to the learning mm -hmm. platforms that we're creating within the organizations. Yes, there's an expectation when you hire somebody at a certain level that they already have experience using mm -hmm. those tools. But how do you actually get them to master using the tools that you know they're going to be using on a day-to-day -day basis and give them the platform or ability to accelerate that and then do that across the organization, yeah. no matter what level they're at, right? I hear you. I, I think that's a, I know I just went down a completely different tangent, but that no, to that, me, that's, that's operational excellence if you can make that happen. Yeah. It speaks to teaching your employees. Yeah productivity tools. Yeah. There's, there's, or just value. teaching them how to use their tools in the most productive way. Yeah. Let me take a little left turn here and I know we're coming up yeah. on time. So maybe this is the, the last or the rapid fire question here. Um, let's talk about a win. Yeah. Let's talk about a success. Um, the circumstances leading up to it, maybe the problem statement, um, uh, how you went about solving the problem, what the outcome was, um, talk us through either your favorite or the first win that comes to mind. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of want to keep it on topic with the theme that we've been discussing rather than going into a tactical mm -hmm. win, sure. maybe share something more, more at kind of a, an adoption transformation level with the mindset of operational excellence and process improvement. Perfect. And maybe I'll give you two examples and try to keep them short. The first 
was more recently um, when, when I was at Intuit, right? This was about three years ago. And one of the things that um, Intuit has, has done, which I think is phenomenal, <clears throat> is they've truly adopted as part of their culture, starting from the time that you onboard as an employee, training every single employee on their process improvement framework and mindset. At Intuit, it's called D for D, Design for Delight. Mm, I think it's a really cool term too, right? And it's very much foundationally based on design thinking principles, Mm -hmm. okay? Um, But I'll take it one step further. In addition to exposing the entire employee base to, to this as part of your onboarding to say, hey, this is a part of how we think and how we operate and what comes into play with solving any problems here. Uh, a big part of the operational uh, environment was something called follow me homes. Hmm. It was really cool. So we weren't literally following you home because Thank that God. would be a bit creepy, yeah. right? Um, that's what I thought at first. Are we following people actually home? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it, it was, it could be virtual or it could be going to an office place or business. Right. But the point was to walk the process, right? Mm-hmm. Gemba, right. Mm-hmm. If we take it back to the Japanese lean, uh, you know, principles yeah. walk in the shoes of the individual, whether that's an employee, cause that could be a customer or an end customer, right? That's purchasing your product or service, but do it not to do a time study or a process map to observe and then ask questions. It's like an empathy map on steroids. Yes. And you know, it could be a 30 minute sit down. It could be a one hour sit down. Um, but it was more just to kind of see what are they going through and and, and pick up on things that they themselves may not mention are bothersome, but maybe have become a natural path in their cognitive way of performing the task that they don't realize is probably wasting a lot of yeah. time and could be solved much mm-hmm. quicker. And you see it and you go, wow, that looks painful, yeah. right? Let me solve that for Let you. Let me solve that for you. What if I could, and let me better understand why you went through all that trouble to get that one little piece of of information submitted within the system. That's so cool. And so, and then, and then the beauty of it was we also, every employee had the ability to do this and could connect with the customer experience team. If you were even looking for customers to perform it with, to, to make that happen. And you could reward the people that allowed you to do it with a gift card or something to say, Hey, thank you for that one hour of your time. Here's a hundred dollar gift card for letting us do that. Take your family out to dinner. And here we're there helping them to solve a problem and paying them for it. Yeah. Yeah. Get paid to have your problem solved for you. Because this is helping us improve our products, our service, our processes to deliver the best experience, the best products, yeah. and also attract other customers and keep hopefully you yeah. as a customer. That's as putting well. your money where your mouth is. And so to me, I know that's not a tactical uh, example, like when, you know, going back to your question, but 
seems so, idyllic. It seems utopian. Yeah. Like that may sound intimidating for our audience as too far off in the future. Is it? I don't think so. Right. I mean, Intuit's been doing this for years. This isn't something they just Intuit's one of the oldest tech companies that's been around in Silicon Valley, if mm -hmm. you will. Right. So I think it goes back to when you asked me the Venn diagram and I just kept on clicking on people, 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 yeah. people, people, it really does start with getting the company at the executive level to say, this is something we have to build into our DNA. It's not a program that we just go out and support people with and try to build or use to try to slash costs and reduce waste. It's, it, it comes back to why process improvement and operational excellence, um, I think even as timeless, even as, timeless as, it as it should be, or, or why, why it was even, why it's become a, 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 a never ending, um, part of how a business has to operate, which yeah. is bringing it back to the customer. Yeah. Right. I love that. And the customer is both internal and external, yeah. right? How do we make sure our employee experience is its best? And it all stems from the inside. If our employees are happy, if they're coming to work and they're feeling, oh man, it is, I love what I do. I'm equipped with the tools that I need to. I can handle any job and it's not burdensome. Yeah. If something comes up, it gets solved it, for it me. It can get solved relatively quickly. Then guess what? The byproduct and output of that is a better service, better experience to the customer and a better product. Less turnover. Less turnover. Less hiring and training. Exactly. More customer retention and more customer demand. Yeah. Let's take a very basic example. I'm going to turn a question to you. Uh-oh. What's something that you've purchased in the last year that was the first time you ever purchased that item or just recently, let's call mm. it, and you've fallen in love with it? Mm. Do you have an example of something like that? Sure. My fiance and I live in the city and we're on top of a hill. So getting down to where the restaurants and where the fun is, yeah. is easy going down, but hard going back up. And I know we should be walking, but I'm thinking of our e-bikes. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. And do you talk about these e-bikes to everyone, everyone you talk to yeah. and the specific brand of yeah. the bike that you have? Yeah. I send, um, here's $50 off to everyone because I also get $50 off. I mean, you love it. Mm -hmm. All right. So I have a similar example. I, uh, I've been a big wearables guy for a long time because of my passion for health and fitness. Right. Mm. So whether, you know, I had some of the first like wearable fitness watches from mm. Garmin through Motorola. Not a lot of people knew Motorola created one too, mm. long before uh, some of the others were out on the market. This is even before Apple watches and stuff. And, uh, you know, I had known about one of the product lines on the market for a while, but never, never pulled the trigger on it called whoop. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's this bracelet that you see right here. Yeah. Justin Thomas, and, the whole PGA loves it. Yeah. And, and some of my, some of my friends that are also prior college athletes and really active, they have one and 
So I was like, all right, you know, I, I wanted to try to consolidate so that I didn't have to have multiple wearable devices because yeah. I liked the fact I could tell time and mm -hmm. monitor metrics. But I'll tell you, it, it was a game changer for me in terms of just the uh, precision and accuracy of the stats. And and uh, and I, I share it with everybody. And yeah. People ask me about, hey, what is that? Yeah. You know, what, what are you doing? And I post about it. Mm -hmm. But there I am. I'm not being paid by Whoop to do that. Yeah. Right. But I'm sending discount codes for a month off. I'm talking mm. about it. I'm, I'm wearing it every day. I, I've never slept with a wearable device. I haven't taken this thing off in six months. Wow. It's that's, been fixated to my body. That's sticky. Right. I, yeah. I do wash it. Don't worry. Okay. So, <laughs> but my point is, is that that sentiment, that example of the e-bike, the wearable device, whatever it might be, it's contagious, mm -hmm. right? How do you create that contagious effect? Yeah. That same contagious effect for what you're doing in an organization, right? Mm -hmm. And the only way to do that is to create something that everybody falls in love with and sees value in. Mm -hmm. They see the relevance of it makes them more productive because then they're going to start spreading. Hey man, have you heard about this really cool tool that we use to map these processes? Oh my God, it's been a lifesaver, yeah. right? You want people in your organization talking about methods and tools the way you want your consumers of your products and services talking about your products and services. Yeah. And the same way that we talk about the latest iPhone or the latest Google pixel or the latest e-bike. Yeah. So how do we make that environment right within Man, our organization? If you that's, that out. that's where operational excellence then ignites. Yeah. So how about that as a North star? And spreads. Yeah. How about that as a North Star yeah. to to nail the to nail the what do you even call that the the, it's the experience the experience it's the, the experience. experience yeah, yeah it's the experience we have to start figuring out as I think as transformation leaders not hey here's a best practice methodology that's been proven and around for years and you know and has worked for so many companies no. How do you create a sexy and valuable product and service that your own employees, colleagues would be even willing to pay for if they had to? Yeah. Yeah. There it is. That, that's the secret. I will pay you money to make my job easier. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't have to, which is even better. Yeah. Right. No, it, as you're, Describing that, I'm recalling some some clients who were a little skeptical about bringing, say, a bot in or yep. a workflow app in or um, even approaching continuous improvement. Um, but once we took out the worst part of their day, it wasn't a quick <laughs> win. It was immediate impact. They no longer had to run that report for 45 minutes every morning at 9 a.m., do yep. at 10 a.m. And they started thinking of, can we automate this? Can we automate that? Can we automate that? And now it's, it's taking off like wildfire. Um, that, that to me is how to connect this customer experience with 
hyper automation, digital business automation. Yeah, on, on they the have auto, to experience it on the automation front, right? I mean, when I was at VMware and I I started our business process excellence practice from the ground up. I also started our RPA center of excellence from mm. the ground up. Um, I remember when we set out <clears throat> to start introducing RPA to our uh, various business leaders. And um, we said, we need to pilot it first to prove it out, sure. to show that it can work if we're going to get our executives to invest in it and also get others to say, okay, we're willing to listen. Because you can talk about every case study for every other company out there, but that, yeah. that's going to fall on a lot of deaf ears. Yeah, it needs to work for you. It needs to work for us, and it needs to be in an area of the business that really showed impact. Mm -hmm. So we said, let's not go with the traditional space or area where RPA is always deployed. Well, finance. finance. Yeah. <laughs> right? We need to break the norm. We need to show hey, we can do this in other areas. So we went to our sales organization. Oh, wow. Right? And uh, one, we started with um, we started with an executive uh, um, town hall to introduce the concept of RPA. And we, we, we demystified it, as we like to call it. Sure. Um, and, and really were very diligent about and careful about, sensitive about sure. um, ensuring un people understood this is a, a tool and an aid to help yeah, individuals not to replace anyone. Yep. And our slogan, we even had a slogan, it was called uh, freeing up the time, the minds and time of employees to think and innovate. That's great. That was our slogan. Mm -hmm. So that's what it became. That was the agenda. How do we free up your time and your minds? Yeah so that you can think more and innovate. Yeah, we no longer have to carry water to and from the well That's right. for four hours a day. And so when we went to the sales organizations, by the way, this was one of our biggest naysayers, right? Because that's also something I've, I've enjoyed over the years is whenever you're, you're met, and there's always going to be that one person that's like, this doesn't work, sure. or I've seen this in other places, or they just don't, they're not, they're the disbelievers, yeah, right? Sisters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I call this the baptism, right? Mm. How do we baptize <laughs> uh, them? Right. Baptism by being yeah. Malik. <laughs> and so, uh, because it's such a, it's an awakening. They, yeah. they come out and they say, I'm a believer. Yeah. I'm a believer. Yeah. That's what happens. And, man. and when you can make the person that everybody in the organization knows is yeah. the disbeliever, a believer, they're yeah. like, okay, something's up. Yeah. I'm not going to fight. I'm not going to fight yeah. because that's the person <laughs> yeah. that always says no yeah. and pushes back. That's who you're after. Oh, that's Especially really, if they're in a great, new. if they're in, a, in an influential part of the organization, sure. right? Or in an influential position mm -hmm. because they have a reputation sure. of that, right? It's not yeah. just with you. They're very discerning. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. Half glass empty versus half glass full. Mm -hmm. So with the sales organization, I mean, we worked with, uh, uh, it, it happened to be timely because they were getting ready for seasonality volume increases that were going to be increasing mm -hmm. with um, various uh, uh, um, sales deals, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, sales Q four, and and so they had to. They this leader had to make a decision in a few months of whether they were going to hire more staff to support those volume increases, or if there was something that they could do to free up the time of existing resources that were already skilled on this to be yeah. able to handle the increase in volume demand, mm -hmm. right? 
therein kind of presented our, um, our RPA uh, pilot and discovery. And we were able essentially through that effort within a, a, a 90 day effort, right? It was, you know, primarily working with transactions in Salesforce, mm -hmm. but it was swivel chair, click level type tasks yep. that was being done by a, a, a team that was offshore, right? In India, but mm -hmm. there were 12 of them. And it was literally just volume of transactions of having to log into systems, copy over information, licensing keys, uh, other other critical information and enter it in to Salesforce, capture that information and submit it and save it. Right. Mm -hmm. So that we had that that doesn't information get boring manual Monday right. and wrote very much repetitive standard process that was ripe for automation mm -hmm. um, in, in a non-traditional area yeah. of automation yeah, cool. um, that you would typically start with. And, uh, and yeah, we were able to essentially automate that process so that those 12 resources were able to be redeployed in the other area of the business where those volume increases were going to uh, be incurred, yeah. but still also have some time in the event, right? Because you don't just automate and walk away that, you know, if something did need to be handled manually still for any reason, exception handling, mm -hmm. they could still handle sure. those one-offs yeah, that, that would, that would fall out. Let right? me ask you a question. Yeah. How do you think about, um, you know, the spectrum or the connectivity of, um, of quick wins? I hate that term, but quick wins like that, where, mm -hmm. you know, in two weeks you build a bot that puts up hundred K, you know, in yep. value versus the strategic transformational value. How do you, how do you do both? How, is it from one leads to the other? Is it scraps make a pile? Is it the bonfires are burning while we're building our, our smaller fires? So I think in an ideal state, right. Um, my, my perspective is that, um, if there are uh, quick win automations that can be done, and for me, a quick win automation is something where you can have citizen developers or, you know, there are these one offs where, you know, your your development team can handle X number of requests, but it's not going to impact or affect strategic automation initiatives that they're working on. Mm -hmm. Almost like they can work them in parallel. Yep. They're two week, four week type you know, yep. working a little part time on mm -hmm. turnaround stuff to help enable, um, you, you know, smaller teams or individuals within an organization. Yeah, productivity. Make make that happen if you have the licenses. That is yeah, to yeah. do that, right? Mm -hmm. That's another obviously sure. dilemma. It's like you know, you're it's not part gonna, of the cost and the cost benefit. Yeah, yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna just deploy every license on all your ants. Yeah. Um, but my my philosophy, honestly, is that you should have an end-to-end -end roadmap strategy to where any of the automations you're doing, whether they're considered incremental quick wins um, or sorry, whether, whether they're quick wins or not, right, should be tied to a, a larger end-to-end -end goal. Sure, like right? reduce um, yeah. uh, cost by 10%. And now what you're doing is applying agile principles, right? You're rolling mm -hmm. out in sprints automation increments okay. of improvements 
and iterations of re-engineering until you get to that okay. end state or north So it star. is do both. It's prioritize accordingly. Make yeah. sure, though, that it is all in line with a very high-level strategy. strategy. Yeah. That start you, chipping away. That you've aligned on with the executive leaders and the businesses, and now everybody's on board, and now this becomes your approach. And a great example of that, too, which, which I think often gets overlooked, too, is RPA, for instance, is a great also stepping stone while you look to overhaul technologies. Yeah. So perhaps, perhaps. Like to workflow. Yeah. Or, or, or no, perhaps you're implementing a completely new system or platform. Sure. Like but, S4 HANA. Yeah. But until, but until you do that, you're still operating on your legacy system, but it could be a one year, two year, three year migration oh, sure. to get there. Well, you don't want to have to wait the three years to start to see the benefits. So if right. you can start to use other incremental enablement technologies like RPA to get you closer to what that platform will eventually give you, cool. do that and then turn off those automations as it gets replaced yeah. with the new technology yeah. that you've put in place and redeploy and then redeploy those those licenses or bots in other areas where you're still transforming or maybe perhaps by that time you've done everything you need to yeah right i think that bots should be built to be turned off eventually yeah. they are um they are high value band-aids that you know shouldn't be around if they're around for any longer than three to five years then you're missing the bigger picture that's right. You're becoming overly dependent on, I, we shouldn't call a bot a Band-Aid fix because it, 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 it doesn't do it enough justice. It doesn't do it enough justice. But I, I think that, like you said, I, I think that's right. It's, it's, did we really, did we really make the changes that made sense? Now there could be bots that maybe we could argue could be there indefinitely because there's small tasks and processes that aren't sure. going to require. There's no overhaul. Yeah, there's no use overhaul case. use case. Just to be clear, yeah. I'm talking about say there's HR employee onboarding. Oh yeah. And in the first six months, you've automated ordering the uniforms with a bot, yep. and then desk assignment with the second bot, and then um, you know setting up benefits with the third bot. If that's generating value for you in the first six months, great. Keep it around for three years. But it sounds like or smells like an opportunity to overhaul your HR. Your whole HR end-to-end -end process. End -to -end process. That's exactly yeah. right. With something like Workflow. That's now exactly right. Now you're going right. from 10 to 100K in value with each bot to call it a million dollars in value 100%. with the Workflow app. 100%. I, I I think we're out of time. Yeah. But we could keep going for, no, for no, days, no, no. Peter. This was hopefully uh, this was uh, this gave you some some good arsenal for uh, for our viewers, guys. I really enjoyed the time, and yeah, yeah. You thank know. you so much, yeah, Peter. Thank we'll you. This, again this was a pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening to another episode of Bots and Thoughts, the Hyper Automation Podcast, sponsored by Salient Process. Be sure to never miss an episode by hitting that subscribe button wherever you're listening to this. Get your hands on more content like this by following us on LinkedIn and YouTube down in the show notes and say hello. We'd love to hear your thoughts, perhaps even on an upcoming episode. Stay tuned for more episodes of Bots and Thoughts, the hyper automation podcast brought to you by Salient Process.